it's a, a danger perhaps for us to begin to get a little bit, um, I don't know, like we know this already. And I want to just kind of draw our mind and attention back to, to that video and like what broken religion is. Um, and uh, we've kind of defined broken religion as <clears throat> is something that uh, the world or churches or stuff forcing us to carry a weight that uh, Jesus does not intend for us to carry. Um, and and the, the video that kind of is the bumper for each one of these sermons is a, just a broken down, decaying, graffitied old church building. And that kind of paints a picture of what broken religion is. But I, I want to kind of restate that idea that broken religion is forcing us to carry a weight that Jesus does not intend for us to carry in that there's some rule to follow. There's some uh, box to check. It just does not exist. And so um, you remember uh, the, the first few weeks we had some weights that we were using. And sometimes we can think of broken religion as, um, as, as weight, God forcing, our, forcing us to carry a, a weight that Jesus does not intend for us to carry. And one of the things that we can do in the middle of that is think that we've somehow defeated broken religion when in fact we've really just put it out of our mind for a season for a week or two or five but ultimately (laughs) did you hear that these are heavier (laughs) Uh, but ultimately it's hard for us nearly impossible for us to fully put them away you're a big dude man you're going to get that one, and so are you. But the idea, the point is, we're really good. We can become really good. It's probably a better way to say it, at putting aside our broken religion and how it affects us or how our broken religion affects other people. We're able to put it into a closet. Um, but ultimately, it's still there. And what Paul's going to teach us in these verses and has been teaching us for the last couple of weeks is that while it may be put away, we can go back to it really, really easily. And it's never fully put away. And we need to continually revisit it. So uh, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would, and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to dig into the text this morning. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, Paul, who has written this letter to a church in a region called Galatia that we can study from thousands of years later, Father. Um, I pray that you would guide us to truth and guide us to understanding of, of who you are, and we would uh, seek you as our, as our refuge and as our strength this morning. Uh, guide us again, Father, as we, we seek to know your truth that you've proclaimed to us. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Uh, so I, I want to start by going back just a few verses um, into Galatians chapter 4 um, and uh, help us to understand some things. So one of the problems with meeting weekly as a church every Sunday is that we can get disjointed when we're studying an entire book. And so the stuff that Josh preached about last week and then Dave the week before that and then me the week before that all, all fits together. 
And a, a, a potential for us to lose sight of is that these things are meant to be one cohesive argument. So as we begin this morning, I want to look backward a little bit at the argument that Paul is making in the middle of, of, this, of these two verses that we're going to read today. Um, and they're going to be on the screen. Simple things that we need to know as givens. You guys have all been to geometry class when you're doing a proof. Not all of you, but some of you have been to geometry class. You're doing a proof. You start with a few givens that are going to help you get to a conclusion here. Um, so these are the givens for us that Paul has talked about in Galatians 3 and 4. First, you are adopted as a son or a child. You are adopted as a child of God. I want you to know that this morning. I want you to not be distracted about that this morning because the, the, these verses that Paul's talking about and the argument that he's making here is that there's a spiritual aspect in play to what's going on in our world and there's a spiritual aspect to get you to try to believe something that's not true about God or yourself. And one of the things, the foundational things that we tend to disbelieve, especially when we turn to broken religion that we think we've put in the closet is that we are somehow not a child of God, but you are adopted as a child of God. I need you to know that. Um, Paul needs you to know that as we proceed. Uh, the second thing is God has sent his spirit to live in you. What we've learned in the last couple of weeks is that God has sent his spirit, his Holy Spirit, his presence himself to live inside of you. When you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Never, ever dispute that. It's the truth. Thirdly, we can call God dad. And we've, there's, you've heard sermons on this before. There's a difference between someone that you have to call father and someone that you can call dad. You guys differentiate, differentiate that? Like you've got pretty stuff that you can't touch and break and you're worried that you're going to break something when you're talking about father or you, you can talk about there's this idea of this some sort of lording over father. But there's also this, we can call God dad. He wants us to come to him. Thirdly, we are no longer slaves. Um... Or fourthly, we're no longer slaves. We're sons, we're heirs. All these things Paul has been arguing to get us to believe. And we need to understand these things at the, at the foundation of where we're going this morning. Uh, I said it again uh, just a minute ago. But there is a spiritual nature that's happening here. In these verses, he's talking about this, the spiritual nature of what's going on. You might remember in Galatians 3.1, he says... Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you remember that when we talked about who has bewitched you? And that word bewitched is some sort of, it's a spiritual word. It's, a, it's, it's like a, a black magic sort of thing. Someone has used witchcraft to trick you to believe something that's not true. So when we talk about broken religion versus the gospel and the reality that we live in, there is a spiritual dark presence whose job it is to get you to go into the closet and pick up your, your weight and carry something that Christ does not intend for you to carry. The spiritual truth of the matter is there are real present enemies in your life whose job it is to get you to somehow try to carry weight around that God does not intend for you to carry. Um, and that's, that's a really powerful thing for us, especially in light of... Uh, this notion, like we have in front of our minds for the last 
few weeks and for the, for the next few weeks still talking about broken religion versus the gospel. And we can think that we've got this thing, tr- we've got this thing captured. We understand the idea. We can guard against it. But the truth is we have an enemy who's very powerful and very real. And he wants to get you to believe something that's not true. And that is that somehow you need to participate in your salvation. And it's just simply not the case. Um, in Galatians 4, 4, stuff that Josh preached about last week, he uses a phrase, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. You guys know the other passage in scripture that says we, there are, we're not, we don't wrestle against flesh and, flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. That phrasing is the same stuff that's here. So, Paul is talking in, in Galatians 4, 4, something that Josh preached about last week, and I'm going to preach about this week, is that there are, there's a spiritual aspect to broken religion. Because in verse, verse 4, 8, our verses this morning, he uses the same phrase, the elementary principles of the world. And we're going to dig into that more in a minute. But I want us to know that we have one enemy, and his name is Satan, and his only weapon is to get you to believe something that's not true about yourself or about God. Jesus says in John 10.10, talking about that enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Um, There is a spiritual battle in play for your soul, but also for your attention and for your affection. There's a spiritual battle that's in play, that's being waged, that's, and, and the fight is over your soul, your attention, and your affection. And most of the time, when you go to a church like this one, the soul piece we're pretty confident in. You with me? Like, Dave and I preach over and over again that you don't participate in your salvation And it's by God, by faith alone in Jesus Christ and what he's done that we have relationship with God. So the soul piece of the distraction is not really in play for us a lot of times. But the attention and the affection piece are always in play and likely will be in play throughout the course of today. Maybe in place throughout the course of the next 20 minutes where we're distracted by things that we think that we have to do, participate in, in order to have the attention of our God or in order to have the affection of our God. These things are very real and the most practical ways that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you is to gain your attention and your affection and take it off of God and put it onto him or stuff that you think you have to do. And we carry around that weight all the time. And the truth that Paul is trying to com- speak to us here is that we move in that direction. Let's look closely at verse 8. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who were by nature not God. And that phrasing again, those who were by nature not God, this is a spiritual realm. That, the language that he's using. We're captive, we're slaves to the whims of the spiritual forces of evil that are around us. Martin Luther says this, we make little headway because the devil seduces people into misbelieving by taking Christ out of their sight and focusing their eyes upon the law. He's talking, he's getting right at the heart of what I just said about our 
the battle for our attention and our affection. We make little headway to defeat broken religion in terms of our attention and affection because we have a very real and very powerful enemy who seduces us. Think about that word, seduction. I want to show you something that I think that you think you want to have. And that becomes the only thing that, that matters to you, the only thing that concerns you. And for us, a lot of times, it's, it's our relationship with God. For religious people, one of the things that we think we need to have is our relationship with God. And that's good. That's, that's valuable to have that mindset and to pursue in that regard. But one of the, the the deals with our enemy is that he seduces us into thinking that somehow we have to do something in order to have that more fully. And it's just not the case because it pushes our eyes back to the law. The last line of this is so important. Taking Christ out of their sight and focusing their eyes upon the law. Um, do you know, this is something that I've, I've known for a long time, but it's kind of come back into my uh, the, the front of my brain in the last few weeks is that the law, and when I say the law, I'm talking about the Old Testament and the rules and regulations that we need to get to God, what the Old Testament talked about. That law, it has a very real and very important job, and that's all it has. And that very real and very important job is to get you to understand that you can't get to God on your own. These laws are the things that are supposed to get you to God, and you can't do it. So the law's job is to show you that you are inadequate. And that's all its job is. It does that job very well. It shows you that you can't do this. But our minds go to the place that, okay, my, I can't do this, but I'm going to keep trying to do it. But I'm going to keep trying to do it. But I'm going to keep trying to do it. But I'm going to keep trying to do it. How many times is he going to say, but I'm going to keep trying to do it? Plenty. Because we're going to keep trying to do it. But the, the law's job is only to get you to understand that Jesus is your only hope. The law's job is to get you to believe that Jesus is your only hope. And once it's done that, you say thank you and move on. But consistently, we want to get to that point. Paul makes the exact same argument very simply in Ephesians 2. Let's walk through this really quickly. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of this air. Remember the spiritual forces of evil that are in play with us. Paul's talking about them in Ephesians 2. Second half of verse 2. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of that stuff. We're evil people who cannot follow the law, cannot follow what God has called us to do, and there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. Those first three verses are teaching us that. But God, two of the greatest words in all of Scripture, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead on our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is a passage you guys have heard many times before, but I want to bring it into the context of Galatians. When we're talking about broken religion versus the gospel of grace. Here in front of us, it's obvious that there's a spiritual battle that's going on for our attention and for our affection and for our soul. But God has overcome that through the work of his Christ, of his son, Jesus. There are spiritual powers that exist in this world whose specific job is to get your eyes off of Christ and onto God. Now, verse 9. This is, by the way, if you've been bored or distracted since I've been up here talking, please come back because this is the coolest thing that I've read in a really long time. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God. Timothy George, uh, a guy who wrote a commentary, says this, to know God in this kind of experiential intensity implies a divine human encounter in which the total self, not merely the mind or the thought process, is claimed and transformed. I, 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 I really need you to know this. You are completely known by God. I want you to, to chase that in your brain for a second. You are completely known by God. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever thought, every affection you've ever had, everything that you will ever do, every thought that you will ever think, every affection that will ever capture your mind is known by God. And not just sort of a, I acknowledge the fact that I know that. But in this experiential, human, and divine engagement sort of know. This is how your God knows you. Every piece of you, every fabric of your core, he knows it. No matter where you are today, no matter how many times you've run for God, from God, or bought into broken religion, or sold broken religion, all the fullness of you and all of your sin is known by God. But that's not the end. I want to want you to know that God knows you, God loves you, God accepts you. God loves you and accepts you and he knows you. I spent all that time thinking about the depth of, our, of God's knowledge of everything that we are. And he knows us and he loves us and he accepts us. Um, I think it might be good for us. I've started to do this a lot lately. Let's, let's do this together. Let's, let's say the stuff that's up there, let's uh, replace you with me. Can we do that together? All right, let's go. God knows me. God loves me. God accepts me. We, we, we really need to bring our middles class down here and have them explain this to us. God 
knows everything there is to know about you. And that does not distract him for one second from his complete love and acceptance of you. And the problem with our stupidity and our brokenness is that like, there are things that I have done to you that make you angry at me that cause you to be distra- distracted from being in relationship with me. I don't like what Rick did to me. Or worse yet, your spouse or, or your parents or someone that's next to you has failed you in some way. And that re- your response to them failing you is that I'm going to separate myself from that person for a season or a time or just let me cool off until I'm better and then we can be friends again. The beautiful part about God's knowledge of you is that there's never a time and will never be a time where you're not fully loved and fully accepted. You guys, that's one of the coolest things you'll ever hear. Because we want to hide. Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do? They ran away from God. Which is just insanity. He's God. He knows everything about you. They hid. They were naked. And they were ashamed. And they were broken. They disobeyed. They hid. But God came and found them. And what did he do? He provided for them. Um... One of my favorite movies is a movie called Goodwill Hunting. You guys ever seen it? Great movie. It's a, a movie about uh, this really smart kid who grew up in Boston, but he's got a terrible life. He's been in foster families and been stabbed by foster parents and, and burned by foster parents. Like he says, they put their cigarettes out on me. And he, he meets this girl, and they begin to fall in love. And he's lying to her about... He's got, he says he's got 12 brothers and sisters and he's, you know, lying to her about his family situation because he's hiding from himself and hiding himself from her and, and they're kind of broken in that way. So one day, um, she's about to finish up at, at Harvard and, and go across the country from Boston to California to go to, to go to grad school in Stanford and she asks him to come with her, right? You guys remember that, that part of the movie? Uh, and they're in her dorm room when this is all happening. So this rich, smart girl is leaving Boston to go to Stanford. Um, and she says this, she says, come with me. And he says this to her, you might be in California next week and you might find out something about me that you don't like. And maybe you wish you hadn't said that. And it's such a serious thing. You can't take it back. And all you wish was that you had a take back. And she says, I don't wish that I had a take back. But the point of that is that they're really vulnerable. They're really close to having this, to this, this deep love for one another. And she wants to engage him with that. And he wants to hide who he is. And he says, you might find out something about me that you don't like. And as a result, you're going to want to take back the fact that you just asked me to come be in a deeper relationship with you. And I'm going to be stuck in California. And I'm not going to know anybody, not know what to do. And you're going to want to disavow me because you're going to find out about my past. And that's a beautiful scene because it's so gospel. So many times we're afraid to come to God. You are afraid to come to God 
Because you're afraid he might find out something about you. But the fact is you are known by God. Completely. More than you know yourself. And he loves you and accepts you. Period. There's no reason to hide. There's no reason to fear. He completely accepts you. And it's incredible. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's God. Um, go to the, the second half of verse 9. How then can you turn back again with the knowledge that you are completely known by God? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? I want to end with two Martin Luther quotes that I think bring this to light for us. He says, The law ought to prepare the way of Christ in the hearts of men. That is, the true purpose and function of the law. But if the law presumes to usurp the place and function of the gospel, it is no longer a holy law of God. It's a pseudo-gospel. You guys following that? Let explain it a little bit. The law's job is to direct you to Christ, and that's it. But we have a tendency to want to make the law something more than it is. It only, its only job is to point you to Christ. And it can do that over and over again. It can do that for you daily or hourly or minutely. It can show you that you are broken and you need to move towards Jesus. And you need to throw yourself on his mercy and his grace. And you can do that every day. You don't have to stop. You're never going to exhaust it. There's always more grace. The function of the gospel is to give you grace. The function of the law is to show you Jesus. Stop trying to be perfect. Be with Jesus. Luther also says this, the law is weak and poor. The sinner is weak and poor. We are two feeble beggars trying to help each other. That's beautiful. You and the law together are two feeble beggars trying to help each other. You cannot do it. You only wear each other out. But through Christ, a weak and poor sinner is revived and enriched unto eternal life. Stop trying to make the law something that it's not. It has a very important job to do to get you to Jesus. It's not your Savior. Um, I'm going to read one verse of scripture and we'll be finished this morning uh, John 1 12 I read this over you guys a couple of weeks ago but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God that's it like we're so, so obsessed with trying to do something, to earn something. But your job in the role of your salvation, in this battle for your attention and your affection, your job is to receive Jesus. And you all have that opportunity to do that.
and that ability to do that. Let him be your savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I pray. Lord, I pray now for my own spirit, Father, and for these people who have gathered here this morning, Father. Every one of us. God, would you convince us in the depth of our soul and spirit and mind that you know us and that you love us and you accept us and to trust in you alone and trust in that alone, Father. God, I pray against comparison. I pray against sin. I pray against our enemy pray against our our tendency to pick up broken religion. God, may we learn to trust in you alone. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.